Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, we have people that have Bibles, they'd love to get them into your hand. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these and take them home as our gift to you. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be starting at verse 12 this morning. As you're turning there, I was thinking just this week of how my middle daughter is not a huge fan of dentists, of doctors, of anybody that's going to poke her with something sharp, basically. All right, so, so if she's got a sliver and I come out with tweezers, it's not going to be a good scene. But there was a particular moment in time that we remember, though, that, that she was in the dentist chair and she had to get two teeth removed. And as the dentist leaned forward with the, with the needle to freeze her mouth and poked her with that needle, she came across with the sweetest right hook, all right? And just, boom, and the dentist's like, we're done. And as a dad, I'm kind of proud about that. I mean, one swing, one punch, and your dentist is out, right? So she's like kind of the Mike Tyson of dental uh, patients, right? But, but here's the thing, the dentist is like, okay, we're not doing this if you're going to punch, so we're going to have to take you down. You're going to have to go to an oral surgeon. It's going to cost you more money. And I'm like, oh, now I'm not so proud of this moment, right? Can we do like a shot of whiskey and bite a belt? Like, is there another way of, here's the thing, Nobody really looks forward to surgery. Nobody looks forward to root canal. Nobody's looking forward to, to being under the knife. But, but here's what we do. We don't look forward to that, but we do look forward to when the work of the surgery is all done and we're recovered from whatever we had done. We, we look forward to what it's going to be to be without the pain we had before, to be healed, to be fixed up. Well, this morning I want to talk about surgery that we can perform in our families a surgery that if, if you come here this morning and you, you have a family that's hurting, that, that needs healing, this is a, a surgery that can bring healing. If you come here this morning and you say, I've liked this series on, on my crazy family. Our family is crazy, but we're good. It's good crazy. Like God's doing a great work. Then, then this surgery is a surgery that can, can be ongoing, preventative. What we're going to unpack this morning could make all the difference in our families. And, and not just your families. We're, we're going to focus on family and, and we're going to focus on marriage this morning. But this, this surgery, this truth can apply to any relationship, to roommates, to friends, to co-workers. And we started this whole series off talking about the foundation of relationships. That God created us as people who would desire relationship. Why? Because he's a God of relationship. And then, then we have our first relationship then <coughs> vertically with him. And then out of that relationship flows out the horizontal relationships with each other. And, and then, then God creates right away this idea of marriage. And he gives the purpose for why marriage. A purpose deeper than just our personal fulfillment and joy, which are good things you can have in marriage. But this purpose is so much deeper. And the purpose is this, to glorify God in our marriages that would point people to what God's love for us looks like in Christ. That we would love each other that way. And we'd be this, this, this billboard showing people Jesus because they look in on a marriage and go, that's how God loves me, the way that husband loves that wife, the way that wife loves that husband. But we've seen in this series that, that marriages and families are far from perfect. Why? Because we're sinful people moving into relationship with other sinful people. And, and not just, oh yeah, my wife is sinful or my husband is sinful or my kids. No, but we recognize, no, I am. I'm the, I'm the sinner in this relationship. But here's the great news, that that sin, that brokenness is not the end of your story, that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ can speak a, a different word over you and your family. 
And so what I want to unpack this morning is what, what is this surgery that this gospel can do in our families to bring hope and transformation? And here's where it starts. If you're taking notes, it starts here. Healthy families require lots of mercy. Healthy families require lots of mercy. If, if this surgery is going to do its work and bring us to a, a healthier place, we got to remember that healthy families require a lot of mercy. So before you go ahead and grab the scalpel and start cutting away, we need to be prepared for the surgery. We need the gospel to prepare us. And here's the great thing about this desperate need we have in our families for a lot of mercy. There's an unlimited resource for us. There's a source where this mercy never runs out. So it's not like, oh man, I don't have any more mercy for my, in myself, so how can I give mercy to anybody else? But there's this unlimited mercy in God through Jesus Christ. And this, this hope we have that, that we can't do family without mercy because we can't do family without Jesus and, and, and because family can be so hard at times. And there are times in relationships where it feels like we're buried under the weight and the burden of the relationship. We're buried under sin done to us, sin that we've done, and it feels like drowning. Now, I, I had two older brothers and a younger sister. So if you grew up with older brothers, you probably experienced this as well. You couldn't be anywhere near a pool or a lake, whereas the younger brother, you didn't have your head held under the water. Anybody else? The older brothers, right? So, I mean, that's a memory I've got. And you'd be held under there for so long, you think, I'm going to die. This is it. My brother's killing me, right? And, you, and then finally, at the last minute, he, he lifts you up, right? And you come up to get a breath of air. That's mercy in our lives. When we feel drowning under the weight of sin, God didn't design families with, with, with the, to work without mercy. It's this oxygen for our relationships. And without mercy, that sin that we find in our relationships becomes divisive. That sin sometimes breaks marriages apart. And yet how, how, many, how many married sinners who said, I'm done, would still today be clinging to each other in love because they understood the place of mercy in their marriage. So do you see mercy in your family? Do you see mercy in your marriage? And you're asking, well, well what's mercy look like? Well, well, how would I know if it's in my family? Here's a good definition of mercy. It's from a guy named Paul Tripp. He says this, mercy is the kind, sympathetic, and forgiving treatment of others that works to relieve their distress and cancel their debt. Let me say that again. Mercy then, it's this, this sympathetic, forgiving treatment of other people that's working to do what? To relieve their distress, to cancel their debt. That's mercy. I like that because it shows that mercy isn't just an attitude that you've got. There's an action to mercy. We, we do mercy. We live out mercy. For it to be effective in our marriage, it has to be lived out. So how much mercy is flowing in your family, in your marriage? Maybe you're thinking, yeah, yeah, but you don't get it, Kai. You, you don't understand what they've done to me. You don't, you don't understand what it's like to live in my family. You don't understand the brokenness. And, and you're making it sound like to begin this thing, it's something I need to do. I need to show mercy. Man, don't, don't you know what they're doing? And it's something I have to do? It is. Now, here's the thing. I, I want to say this. If you're in a relationship where there's abuse where there's assault, where there's neglect. I'm not saying, hey, stay there and show mercy. No, there's appropriate times, those times where you need to separate. You need to remove yourself from that, where, where a marriage needs to be separated if there's that going on. 
right? Where you need, to, you need to separate until things are figured out, until you can walk that through. So I'm not saying in that place you're gonna do that, but, but I'm saying in the normal of what we do in our families, where sin is in our families, we're to show mercy. And how do we do that? How do I live out mercy? Again, it, it all comes back to the purpose of, of family, the purpose of marriage. The, and so it's not about, well, you just need good communication and, and you just need good romance. Those are good things. Listen, but we need to ground all of this into what this whole thing is about, this picture of God's love for us through Christ. That's what we're trying to show. So then how do we do it? How do we live this picture out? Well, it begins by us first resting in the mercy of God for us. It begins with us grasping a hold of this reality, resting in the grace, embracing this grace that God pours out on us through Christ. And then we take that reality, my sins forgiven through Christ, my future sure, being transformed. We take that mercy and that grace, and, and John Piper says it this way, we take the vertical pouring out of mercy and grace and we bend it horizontally. And you bend that mercy to your family, to your spouse, and so if, if that's what it looks like, before we jump into the horizontal of these verses here in chapter three, just look back at chapter two in Colossians. Look back at verse 13 of chapter two. We need to really understand, hey, what is the vertical taking place? What is this mercy I get? Verse 13 says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And if you know Christ, that's your reality, that, that God took the debt that stood against you. God set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. And listen, this didn't happen because of anything great you or I did. There was nothing in us that God said, wow, that's amazing, I should do this. No, no, God took the initiative before you were born. The cross stands before you as, wow, God loved me before I was even born and pursued me with his rescue mission. And he took all of your sin and my sin and instead of holding it up in front of your face, instead of pointing at it and going, look what you did. God extended mercy. took all of that sin, he placed it in the palm of Jesus' hands and nailed it to the cross. Not pointing out our shame, not condemning you for what you did, God extended mercy. Nothing we did caused this to be poured out. God extended, God moved towards us. Now, in light of that vertical reality, look what happens horizontally. Look now at chapter three, verse 12. It says, put on then, if this is the truth, if this is who you are, if this mercy's been poured into you, through you, if God loves you that much, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive we live out this mercy. It says compassionate hearts. It's a, another word of, of hearts filled with mercy. We get this mercy. We then pour it out. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. My husband doesn't deserve it. My wife doesn't live in a way where she should deserve this. My, my friend, my brother, my sister, my, my parents, man, if you only knew what they were like. But, but isn't that what mercy is? 
I mean, God stepped in when we didn't deserve it. If we deserved it, it's not mercy. Well, they don't deserve it exactly. That's mercy. God gives us what's unexpected. God gives us what's undeserved. What's that mean? It means that, that so often then our crazy, busted up, broken families are what God's using to, to reveal our desperate need of the gospel for us. And it's this amazing opportunity for us to live out the mercy of Jesus for others. I mean, think about it this way. When you bump into the sinfulness of those you live with, when you bump into the sinfulness in your marriage or in your kids or in your parents, you have in that moment this amazing opportunity to be Jesus. I mean, some of you, you come from families where you're not even going to make it out of the parking lot in your car before you have an opportunity to display mercy, right? How cool is that? I mean, that, that, that you're going to step out and, and, and he's going to say that thing he always says. She, she's going to do that thing she always does. And you get to do something different today. You get to live out mercy. You get to live out this upside-down kingdom of Jesus like Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who do crappy things to you. That's my translation, but it's pretty close, all right? I mean, it's so countercultural. Jesus says in Luke 6, he goes, hey, if you only love those who love you, if you only love the lovable, why is that such a big deal? Anybody can love people that love them back. It's easy to love lovable people that love you back because you're getting something for your love. But to step in and to love those who, who, who aren't lovable, to show mercy to those who aren't lovable, that's supernatural in that moment. That's Jesus at work in you. So my question is this, is there anything supernatural going on in your family right now? Can you see the supernatural in your marriage? I mean, it says here in verse 12, look how it starts, put on then. What's it saying? This isn't something that's naturally gonna be happening in our hearts and in our lives. I mean, I way more naturally will wear clothes of retaliation, right? I'm gonna way more naturally put on defensiveness. I'm gonna way more naturally put on bitterness. But if you want a marriage that's this huge billboard for Jesus, this is where it begins, where God moved towards you in your sin to cancel your sin, to remove your shame, to show you mercy. And now what do you do? You respond to your spouse, to your family, like God responded to you. Are you taking what you know vertically and bending it horizontally? Do you understand the, the truth of the gospel that, that says this? I mean, the two parts of the gospel, we say this a lot, right? The one part that says you're more sinful than you would ever want anybody to ever know. And yet you're also more loved and forgiven and transformed than you could ever imagine. If you lose any part of what this gospel is for you, if you, if you lose the, the first part of it, you, you don't understand the, the sinfulness that God moved towards you in this. And what's going to happen is you'll show very little mercy to anybody else. We call people like that Pharisees, right? And what do you do? You crush your family under the weight of your standards and judgment. But if you don't get the second part of the gospel that says but you're forgiven and loved more than you could ever imagine, you become this shame-filled black hole of needs. 
and you crush your family under the weight of them having to be your savior. I need you. I need you. Why? Because we forget I have everything I need in Christ. And so grab a hold of the gospel and then pour it out. It's something we're to drink, but not just for ourselves, man. It's to pour out of us so that when we understand the gospel, God's mercy and grace, our families should be experiencing it. When you sing about amazing grace, when you shake your head in disbelief over God's love for you, when you rejoice in the good news of who you are in Christ, it should be flowing out to those around you. In fact, look again at verse 13. This is what it'll look like. If, if, if there's mercy just being poured out in your family, verse 13 says, you'll bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So, so what's a, a family that's just that's soaked in mercy look like? Here's our second point. Healthy families are built on forgiveness. Healthy families are built on forgiveness. I mean, mercy lived out, this is what it looks like. It's, it's families being built on forgiveness and not just a, a one time, yeah, I forgave you that one time, but just this ongoing forgiveness because there's, there's hurt ongoing. Forgiveness should infuse every relationship that every follower of Christ is in. And I would say this, if you're single and you're looking towards marriage and you look at your life and there's this, this pile of broken relationships behind you of all these people like, yeah, that person bugged me, I hate them. Yeah, that person, I never want to talk to them again. And I hate that guy and that person. And you, and you, but when I find the perfect one, I'll love them, right? It doesn't happen that way. It's, it's something that we, we practice, that we, we begin to live out. It's not going to all of a sudden change because you enter into married life. So practice now building all of your relationships on forgiveness. Now, I want to spend a ton of time this morning working on all the implications of what is forgiveness and reconciliation. Pastor Lee's going to preach a, a series in May where he's going to walk this stuff out. What does forgiveness and reconciliation look like? But for now, what's it mean for our families to be built on this? What's this outworking of mercy? Where you start to look past the offense, look past the person, look past what they've done, and you see Jesus. And you extend that same forgiveness that you've received regardless of how you feel in the moment. I would say it again, one of the main things that make you a Christian, that people can look in and go, man, you look like Jesus. One of the things, the main thing is do you live out mercy and grace and forgiveness? We say, oh, I'm a Christian because, uh, I mean, I read my Bible all the time. Because, man, I go to church, I pray, I serve, I love theology, I love worship. Forgiveness, I believe, is at the heart of what it means to live out being a follower of Christ. That, that's Jesus lived out in us. In fact, in fact Jesus makes this such a serious deal. He, he tells a story, a parable in Matthew chapter 18. And here's the thing, when, when you hear parable, Jesus telling these stories, it's not so much, hey kids, grab your stuffy in a blanket, come curl up, we're going to tell a story. Jesus' stories typically were really a kick in the gut as you heard them. It's Jesus saying, hey, hey, you think this is your reality? You think this is what, let me tell you a story, and then boom, right? Oh, that's different, right? So Peter comes up to Jesus, and he, and he asks a question about forgiveness. He says, hey, hey, Jesus, 
If someone sins against me, how, how many times do I need to forgive them? Seven times? Should I forgive them seven times? Now, what Peter's doing there is there was a common saying in the day that would say, if you're really righteous, you would forgive somebody three times. That's all you need to do, just three times. And after they do the sin three times, you don't need to forgive them anymore. So Peter here, I think, wanting to look pretty spiritual, says to Jesus, you know, if I double it and then add one. So he's like, hey, Jesus, how many times? Seven times? Huh? I can't imagine him looking around going, guys, right? Seven times, that's what I would do. Seven times, seven, Jesus. Looking for affirmation. Jesus goes, actually, Peter, how about 70 times seven? And Peter's not an accountant, he's a fisherman, so he asked Matthew, how much is that, right? And Matthew's like, it's about 500, right? And he goes, fuck, no, no, Jesus, I'm not talking about how many times in my entire life I'm gonna forgive somebody. I mean, like, that one person who does that same thing. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. In fact, let me tell you a story. He tells a story that begins to just turn their small ideas upside down. He says, there's a guy who owed his master 10,000 talents, you know, a talent is a unit of money. It represents a year's worth of wages. So picture one year's worth of your wages. Now multiply that by 10,000. We're talking billions of dollars, right? This guy owes billions of dollars. It doesn't matter how much budgeting you do. It doesn't matter how much you say, yeah, but I'll take my money and I'll put them in different envelopes and so I can only spend the envelope. And when it's done, you're not catching up on billions of dollars of debt, right? And so, so what happens? He comes to his master. His master calls me and goes, you need to repay me. And he falls down his master's feet and says, I can't do it. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says that the master's heart was filled with compassion. He had pity on him and he forgave the whole debt. I mean, there was nothing in this guy that deserved to be forgiven. We don't know what he did with the billions of dollars, but he squandered it all. Did he gamble it away? Did he buy things for himself that just were useless? Did he, did he lose all the money? I, I don't know what it was, but here it is. All, everything was about com the compassion of this master. So you would expect this guy, forgiven of billions of dollars, that he would step out of that place and he would jump into the streets dancing and celebrating and saying to anybody who ever did anything wrong to him, man, don't worry about it. I just had billions of dollars forgiven for me. It doesn't happen that way, though. Jesus says, but. But the servant found a guy who owed him 100 denarii. Now, that wasn't a small amount. One denarii would be a day's wage, so a hundred days' wages. So that's, it's not a tiny amount. It's not like 10 bucks. This, is, this would hurt a little bit. This is a, a bit of money, but it's not $10 billion. And he finds this guy, and he grabs him by the throat, and he says, pay me what you owe. Listen, whenever you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, somebody who you refuse to forgive, this is you. And God's looking at this, you and I who are forgiven the $10 billion debt and we hold the throat of our spouse, we hold the throat of our parents, we hold the throat of that friend, that family member, and we say, pay me what you owe. Well, Jesus goes on, he says, the master heard about this and he grabs him and he says, you wicked servant, you were forgiven the billions owed and now you do this, no mercy given by you. And he has this guy thrown in jail. And then Jesus delivers the kick to the gut. He says, this is what God will do to everyone who doesn't forgive. 
I mean, if you don't understand your sin forgiven by God, then, then you'll struggle with forgiveness, especially that person who repeatedly sins against you. But when you begin to understand, instead of saying, but he did it again, but she did the same thing again, you start to realize, man, don't I sin over and over and over again, the same sin against my God, and what does he do? He extends mercy and grace and forgiveness. Look at verse 13 again of chapter three. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, it says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. He's just saying what Jesus said in that parable. You forgive because Jesus forgave you. This isn't a one-time thing. Paul says it again in Ephesians. He says, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's this outworking of mercy. I mean, this is what marriage is all about. This is the picture we're showing a watching world that they're looking in. And marriage isn't so much about, oh, I'm just getting all my needs fulfilled. I mean, if that's what it is, if it's like, oh, I just need, I need, I need, I need. I'm gonna find somebody who's gonna fill this need. And then the, you find a spouse who's doing the same. Me too, I need, I need, I need. You put these two together. Well, I mean, what a horrible situation. Both, I need from you, I need from you. And no one gets anything. But your marriage shows the world watching the, the love and the grace of God. When you take that vertical, I have everything I need in Christ, and you bend that horizontally, and you extend mercy and forgiveness. This is being like Jesus. So listen, even the most busted up marriage, you get to live out Jesus. Even in a family, you say, man, you wouldn't believe what's going on in my family. You get to live out Jesus in such a way that it's, I love what it says in 1 Peter that the angels look into the gospel. They're like, we don't get it, right? Can you imagine that, that in your marriage, you have an opportunity to live out in such a way where you're forgiving and showing mercy that you could see, picture angels in heaven looking over going, I don't understand that marriage. I don't get that. As you live out the gospel. Okay, with that as our foundation, mercy and grace and forgiveness, the gospel lived out. Okay, ready? Here comes some surgery. Here's our third and last point this morning. Healthy marriages speak the truth in love. Healthy marriages speak the truth in love. So, so, so here's what it's gonna look like in our marriages. It's this, it's where, where we invite, we pursue correction from our spouse. We're, we're, we don't wait, hey, you're gonna come to me if you see anything wrong. No, I, it's a, you going to your spouse, going to your family members, going to those close friends and saying, hey, hey, my life's open to you. Now, why is this important? Because behind every crazy family, behind virtually every busted up marriage, what, what is at the bottom of it, what lies, is, is unrepentant sin. Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. And the, the sin steps in and wrong attitudes come in and personal failures come in and they aren't dealt with and they slowly erode the relationship. But here's the reality. When we're dating, when we're in that, that engagement period, what's our whole purpose in that? It's to lie. It's to show all your good stuff, right? It's like, I gotta protect all the bad things so you think I'm awesome. Isn't that dating? That's what it is, right? I'm only gonna put everything good forward. 
I, I kind of find dating a little bit like, like social media. I mean, Facebook, we all lie on Facebook. No one puts the truth out there. Pictured like the first day of school, those pictures that people put on there. First day of school with my kids, right? What happened that morning? It was crying and screaming and braiding hair. You're pulling my hair out. I don't want to go to school. Get the picture though. Right? And the kids look perfect, right? That's kind of dating. Let's, let's put all the best stuff forward. So you see, and then what happens? You get into marriage, and marriage has this way of exposing us. That's why we need mercy and grace. And then we, we step into those places. We step into each other's lives and we begin to speak the truth in love. This is the cutting part of the surgery. And listen, this surgery isn't gonna go well if you don't have mercy and grace as the foundation. This surgery's not gonna go well on the receiving end if you don't have humility to receive it. It's, it's our pride that takes a swing at the person bringing surgery to us. It's our pride that defends and excuses and fights back and hides. And so again, what do we do? We come back to the vertical and we see the cross of Christ and it brings us to a place of humility because the cross really screams out how much grace I need. The cross is there so I'm never shocked when sin's revealed in my life because I mean, my, my sin's so bad, it took Jesus dying on a cross for me. I'm more sinful than my wife could ever expose. But the cross also shows this, that you're forgiven. That God's taken care of that sin, that even that sin that's being exposed. So you, you can say, listen, God knows everything about me. You're pointing out a little sliver of sin in my life. God knows it all, and he's taken care of all of it on the cross. So I can hear this truth. This is good for me to hear. Look at verse 16. Here it is worked out, lived out. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let this gospel fill you so much that it says this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That word admonishing there, it's, it's exhorting, it's, it's pointing out faults, it's warning, it's speaking the hard truth in love. And this is to be a regular part of our relationships. So what's this mean? This means husbands. Listen, husbands, when your wife lovingly points out sin, she's not being disrespectful. Now, now, can she do it in a disrespectful and sinful way? For sure, she can do it in that way. And, and hopefully there's a foundation of mercy and grace. But listen, listen, when that happens, when it's being spoken in your life, we need to be humble and receive it. And ladies, God does not call your husbands as just to come and to just treat you like a princess and woo you. Like We should be doing that. We should be loving and wooing and caring for our wives. But when, when he steps in, to admonish and correct, that's loving too. That's cherishing your heart. And this should be happening back and forth. We need each other. Why? Because nobody knows us better than our spouse. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, hey, do you want the most joyful marriage ever? Just keep pointing out where your partner is a total bonehead. It's gonna be awesome, right? That's not a great marriage, right? So hey, instead of date night, forget Netflix. Let's just tell each other where we're awful. It'll be amazing. That, that's not what I'm saying. No, it has to start with mercy and grace, okay? We don't get to wear the junior Holy Spirit badge and go pointing out everybody's sin. That's not it. No, no, you need mercy and grace. If you don't have mercy and grace... And you're like, yeah, sin surgery, let's do this. Scalpel, mask, let's make this happen. No, 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 set down the scalpel. You're gonna do so much harm with that scalpel. 
lay it down and learn grace first. But when you have grace and mercy going on in your marriage, it's this, this surgery that takes your marriage to the next level. This is what grows your relationships. So men, invite your wife to speak into your life. Women, invite your husband to speak into your life. And maybe you're saying, yeah, but you don't know my spouse, man. I'm way more spiritual than they are. How can they speak into my life? I've watched like 17 Beth Moore videos, so I am way more spiritual. I've gone to Bible school, and, and they couldn't even find Colossians this morning. You're telling me that, no, no, they may not be able to find Colossians, but they can find the sin in your life. We live so close to each other, we can spot the sin. I mean, have you seen this in your marriage? If you're married, have you seen this? Like, there's nothing like marriage to expose you. Before I got married, I, I got married a little later. I was 28, and I mean, I'd done some things in life, and I thought I was pretty great, right? And, and then I married this beautiful girl who I expect, hey, this is going to be great. Now I get Libby, who's going to be on the sidelines with pom-poms, and she's going to cheer me along as I continue to being this great, awesome guy. So I spent a lot of our marriage fighting and defending and hiding because I wasn't used to somebody actually pressing in because my hope wasn't in the gospel. My hope was in, I sure hope she thinks I'm amazing. And listen, I'm still not perfect. I still get so defensive, but there is no one, no coach, no mentor, no teacher, no preacher that has been used more than Libby to grow me, to refine me, to change me, to give input into my life where God is pressing in and nobody else would see it. And here's the thing, it's not always fun. Surgery hurts sometimes. But I'll tell you what, I can't imagine who I would be without my wife speaking truth in love into my life. I mean, some of you are getting to know me, you're like, man, this guy's a doughhead of a pastor. I was way worse before Libby, all right? And God's used the scalpel of his word in Libby's hands to change me. And yeah, would I rather that she was on the sidelines all the time? Give me a K, give me an A, give me a J, go Kai. I would love that, all right? And then, yes, does she do a lot of that for sure? Encouraging, but listen, God also gave her a call to, to, to admonish. And there are times when God's like, paging Dr. Libby, <laughs> right? You're going to need a long scalpel for this one, right? And God's calling in. We've got work to do. Listen, listen, we need to be humble and we need to listen to that admonishment, that truth in love that comes from our spouse or comes from that godly friend or comes from that small group leader that God's placed in your life to say, I got some stuff that God's showing. And then in humility, we grab a hold of the gospel. And when we grab a hold of the gospel, we stop hiding. We stop trying to look better. We stop trying to fake it. Because why? We know, God, you love me no matter what. I don't need to hide any longer. When you have humility and understanding of the gospel, you, you don't defend and excuse anymore. And, and pride makes us want to bow up against what's being accused of us. And, and so what do we do when someone comes in to speak the truth in love? We turn it into this courtroom Right? In our pride, I'm going to defend my turf here. And they start to talk. And you're like, well, you're not actually saying that well. And well, you said, I did, that, I did that four times last week. I only did it twice. You're wrong. Next witness. Right? Well, no, well here are the bunch of things I do really well. So maybe you off the stand again. Next witness. We, right? And we treat it like this courtroom. Why? Because we forget the gospel. 
Let, let's humbly allow a, a less than perfect admonishment. Why? Because our spouse, that person speaking to our life, they're a sinner too, and they may not do it perfectly, but here's the question. Do you want God to speak into your life? And he speaks through his word, but he also speaks through those who are closest to us. So let me ask you this. If, if you are looking at, at your life, if, if you were to ask a bunch of people around you, if you were to ask them this question, what would they say? Hey, am I open to criticism? What would they say? Hey, hey, am I easy to approach? Am I easy to correct? I'd say this on your way home. Maybe that's a good question to ask your family. Or if you came with friends, to ask them, hey, am I approachable? Am I easy to correct? I mean, where might there be that, that area where, where your spouse or, your, or that person who knows you well hasn't spoken into your life because they're so scared of your reaction? I mean, if, if, they, if they knew they could say it with, without a, 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 any of the, the anger that might come out of you or any of the pouting or crying or any of the silent treatment, if they knew they weren't going to get that, what would they say? I mean, you ever see that person who's, who's walking around and, and they've got something on their face and, and everybody sees it but them and they're, they're going off to the important meeting they've got like a booger hanging out of their nose and no one tells them about it, Right? Listen, listen, when that happens, this is, this is you when you shut down your spouse, when you say, don't talk to me about this, when you're pushing back all the time, we're walking around with a big old booger hanging out of our nose and everybody sees it. I mean, what is it this morning that you don't know about? And, and no one can speak to you because you respond in anger. No one can speak to you because you're always defensive. No one can speak to you because you always break down and cry. No one can speak to you because you pout. No one can speak to you because you turn it into a, oh, I guess I'll never be perfect then. And what do we do? We fight so hard. That's our pride saying, if I make this so uncomfortable, they'll never press on this again. And we live our married lives in this, this, this kind of agreed upon silence. Don't point out my sin and I won't point out your sin. And our marriages grow stale. And we walk around with big old boogers. <laughs> And we say, I want to be more like Jesus. We don't mean it. If we won't take admonishment, in fact, the Bible, in, in Proverbs 12, 1, the Bible says, if you don't want to take admonishment, you know what the Bible calls us? It calls us stupid. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Dave Harvey, who wrote, When Sinners Say I Do, said this, you need your husband like no one else. You need your wife like no one else because they see you like no one else. And if we cut off outside people from speaking into our life, from doing this amazing surgery to begin to, to, begin to refine and begin to change, so if we cut all that out, the only thing we're left with then is our own perception of ourselves. We're left with our own arguments, our own lies, our own delusions, and that self-perception is about as accurate as a carnival mirror. So let's drop the defensiveness. Let's drop the hiding. Let's drop the fighting. Let's be thankful that God's put people around us and be ready to receive truth spoken in love every day. In fact, as the worship team comes up this morning, here's some homework I'm going to leave with us. Here's some homework. Husbands, I'll talk to you first. Husbands. Find a, a time where, where, where you can have a distraction-free good amount of time. 
and where, where you can meet with your wife, where you can hold her hands, look her in the face and say, honey, what are some areas of character in my life that you'd most like to see me grow in by the grace of God? Notice I said character. What are some areas of character? It's not, hey, what are some things that I do that bug you? All right, no, no, no. That's mercy and grace. That's forbearance. We forbear with the things that bug us. You never do this. Just forbear over that stuff. It's what are areas of character you see in my life that you'd love to see God grow me in? If, if, you're, if you're single, and, or, or then, then just grab a friend or a small group leader. You don't have to hold their hand, but you know, like, and ask them the same question. Are there, what are the areas in my life you'd love to see me grow in by the grace of God. And then here's what you do. When they start to speak, just listen. Don't defend. Don't excuse. Just listen. Wives, here's yours. You do the same thing. Pick another time. Don't do it at the same time. Pick another time where there's just this time where you can, you can just have time together and you ask, what are areas of character in which you'd most like to see me grow by the grace of God? And let's begin to see and embrace the gospel in our lives to the point where our whole lives rest on the gospel so that we can speak into each other's lives, so that we can have families filled with mercy because we've experienced God's mercy. We can, we can live out forgiveness because we've been forgiven of so much. We can seek to speak and to receive the truth in love. Think about what, think about what God could do if we lived out mercy and grace if we forgave like we've been forgiven, think about what God could do if we took that hard but needed step of surgery, of receiving and speaking the truth in love. What could God do with our families? What could God do with our lives? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace that was poured out on us that you took all of our sin and all of our shame and you nailed it to the cross, forgave the debt. God, I pray that we never become tired of hearing of that, that it always stays as amazing grace to us. And that because of that, because we so rest our lives in the truth of the gospel that has broken, dead, lost men and women, you redeemed us, found us, made us alive. And our hope is in that. Because of that, our lives, our families can be filled with mercy, can experience forgiveness and reconciliation. We can speak the truth to each other in love and see, God, you do a mighty work. I pray this in Jesus' name. In the name by which we sing and celebrate because we receive mercy and grace. Where, God, your arms are wide open as you run to us to save us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.